All of the great heroic tales come to a point when the hero of the story is called to separate from the world he has known. He has to leave behind all that is familiar to him and enter another world that is new and strange. Yet in this other world, he finds a mentor to guide him. And here, he is trained for the quest that is ahead. Without that period of separation, he would have neither the skill nor the strength to succeed in the quest. One day it occurred to me that this is exactly what happens to a man when he enters the world of silence. He leaves behind the familiar world of noise and expectations and activity and enters the strange world of stillness. It is the world of being in the presence of the living Christ. In this place, a man finds Jesus to be his true God and mentor, and he finds the wisdom and strength to take on the quest Jesus calls him into. I have seen the power of silence over and over again in the hearts of men. I have watched it surprise sophomores in high school and stun men in their 60s. I've witnessed its power in doctors and therapists and ministers and teachers and businessmen. I've seen it give strength to the weary, perspective to the confused, hope to the despairing, direction to the disoriented, healing to the broken, freedom to the burdened, grace to the guilty, peace to the anxious, and connection to the unloved. All of this happens because the silence is not empty. No, it is full and overflowing with the presence of Jesus himself. And when a man experiences that presence in the silence, there are doors that open in his heart that he didn't even know were there. So much of my work with men is helping them enter silence and then structure it into the daily rhythm of their lives. But why silence, you may ask? What is it about silence that gives such ready access to God's presence? I think it may be this. The world of men is built on noise and motion. And underneath that is the assumption that this is where life is to be found, in driving ahead and planning and building and arguing and competing and pushing forward. We assume that the speed of our lives will somehow give them meaning. Add to that the onslaught of social media, the barrage of TV channels and streaming options, and the glut of internet information. Finally, toss in the fast pace of modern-day family and workplace. Where does all of this lead? It doesn't lead to life. It leads to disorientation and exhaustion. So much has been written about the positive benefits of silence. It can yield huge payoffs mentally, physically, and emotionally. But my interest in silence lies at the spiritual level, at the level of a man's core being. Only in the silence can he become truly heroic. Only in the silence can he pull away from the deceptions and lies of the world. Only in the silence can he discover his true identity before God. Only in the silence can he discern the quest he will be given. And only in the silence can he find the strength to stay on that quest when the inevitable trials and setbacks come? However hard it may be for us to enter the world of silence, it is much harder for us to live without it. For what God will give to us in silence 
is not only our true selves, he will give us himself. I'm Bill Delvo, and this is Heroic, a podcast about the surprising path to true manhood. Silence is such an overlooked topic, but it can help us grow as men more than anything else. Richie Selshans will be joining us in our discussion where we'll examine the value of breaking away from the world and entering silence. Richie is the Reformed University Fellowship Pastor at Vanderbilt University. He brings to our conversation not only a wealth of experience with the busy world of college students, but also his own experience of how silence has radically transformed him. Some specific topics Richie and I will cover in this episode are the perceived threat that silence can pose and how we've come to beat it, the role of stillness and silence in our spiritual lives, not doing anything when our default is doing something, and practices we can use to structure silence into our lives. You know, I just get Richie. Honestly, I sometimes feel like we may have been twins separated at birth. He's also one of the best preachers I have ever heard, and I've heard a lot. But today, we are just talking as brothers about a subject we both love, silence. Richie, great to have you here with us today to talk about silence. Let's begin with this. Talk about your own experience of silence. What happens to you there that happens nowhere else? Mm. So I have tried to find the, I'm going to say this, the answers or even the solution to my inner chaos and fear and sense of doom um, in a lot of directions. So I've looked in the past to try to pick it apart. Uh, what happened to me? What? And it was helpful, a lot of counseling and things like that to understand my story. And I've looked sort of in the future to see if one day, somehow, somewhere, you mentioned that when you were explaining the silence about speed and distance. Yes. And the one direction I never looked, and I also looked to my right and to my left at people to finally look at me and say, you're enough. And then I think it was a place of exhaustion um, or even just a, a fatigue where I, people call it coming to the end of yourself or whatever. In the last five years or so, where I started looking down, <laughs> the one direction I didn't they look didn't think of was down. Yes, and um, what happens to me there is I enter into the, the eternal reality of God's love for me. It's actually really simple, and my incessant chatter, busyness, pride keeps me from just being still. And so what stillness does, silence does, is I really just become childlike. Hmm. Uh, childlike in the way that I allow myself to be surprised. Um, even taking scripture, um, one of the ways that we've done this with you, what you've been so helpful with me, Bill, is taking me through things like the examine or the Lectio Divina to really concentrate on small amounts of scripture to take that. And then what happens to me is I it goes from 
just head knowledge or intellectual concepts, which I would say a lot of my spiritual life, a lot of my theology, even as a minister, have been trained very much in that. What it does is it, it makes a sort of high definition. It becomes like three-dimensional. Right. And um, I become childlike. I become full of wonder. It's a recovery of wonder for me. And so it's with the gospel, but I experience God in a way that feels new, but also very ancient to me. It feels like it feels like being a kid again. Yeah, that's remarkable. And and your your word looking down, I assume by that looking down, sort of dropping into your soul as a man. Yeah, and all of a sudden in that posture, confronting God there. Mm-hmm. The the. I never thought the direction was actually be still. Yeah. Um, even though I hear it throughout Scripture all the time, be still and know that I'm God. Be still, be still. That this stillness is just God does love me. He is love as a present reality. And learning, it's very scary, honestly. it was. It's kind of threatening. Yeah. I think a lot of men feel threatened by silence. And... Uh, what do I need to do? Because doing is sort of just a limbic, uh, non-conscious response to chaos that I have. Right. Go, do, run. Um, and so, yeah, it's where I, I become childlike. Um, there's laughter there. There's beauty. And like I said, it's like a recovery of wonder. And it's, it, all of this feels like the, the opposite of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. It feels and like a, the being disorientation alive. of the chaos that that I think a lot of men live in. A hundred percent. And let's go there. Talk about how you see the need for silence in men in general in your work with them. Well, I think I think I am. I think a lot of men are like me. I think most men are like me. We are doers. We're performers, and that's not all bad. But our performance can't. It's not designed to fix our deepest longings. They aren't designed to do those things. And so encountering men, talking to men, our default is sort of a question is like, what do you do? Yeah, that's the first thing we, we ask. Yeah, what do yeah. you do? That's our identity. And um, what do you do? And I guess the other question we're sort of asking is, what have you done? Mm-hmm. You know, good or bad? That kind of Accomplishments, yeah. yeah, status. And so we're sizing each other up. And there's just and, and I've noticed in my own life and with a lot of men, it's just we're just loners. Mm-hmm. And so there's a deep loneliness, um, a deep desire to be known, but also a, a fear of being known. And what silence does, I mean, I've talked to men about what I do, like, you know, with you, I do these silent retreats and I meet with Bill and there are other men doing it. And I've, I, I've honestly told men that that sounds like the most terrifying thing I could ever imagine in my life. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know why they're I terrified. Yes. Because they kind of don't know what's down there because they know they sort of implicitly know that it's down. Isn't that interesting? They know it's down. There is a descent involved here. Yeah. There's a descent that's involved. They know it's down and they don't they, they don't. I, I think we live from a premise of fear, not a premise of love. We're and always running. We're always running. And so a premise of fear leads to performance. And that premise of fear, we live out of that. And when you have a premise of fear, everything is a manifestation of that fear. So we live feeling doomed, condemned, dread. And so we can't look down. But if a premise of love, which you meet, is love, 
And that's the surprise. Yeah, you look the, down expecting shame, condemnation, guilt, and all of a sudden you encounter the surprise. You're embraced. You're embraced. By love itself. Right. The He who is love. And I think Jesus made people feel like they did when they were kids. Yes. Um, and so there's a, there's a purity to that. There's a quote that, that I like. I wish I could remember the guy's name is, wisdom is the recovery of innocence on the far side of experience. And um, that's what I'm experiencing. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm becoming more present. Mm-hmm. And it's practicing presence. It's actually really, really simple. It's not complicated. We're making things complicated, and we're almost afraid of the simplicity of it. So I think men, we're all up in our heads. We, we overuse our intellect. We overuse our gifts, and our gift mix just doesn't produce uh, what, it, what we think it's going to produce. Mm-mm. It never takes us to those places. No. Talk about... Maybe just to give an illustration, share a story. Can you think of a story of how you personally um, encountered surprise and wonder, how Jesus met you in silence, just to kind of put some life to this idea? So I meet, for the people who are listening to this, I meet with you, Bill, uh, you know, a monthly or early on, maybe every other week. Uh, for a while, and then once a month, and then probably once a quarter, I go on these silent retreats. And then the beautiful part of that is it's changed my daily practices. So I build my life now around moments of silence kind of in the morning. Um, and for some reason, it was around, it was before Christmas and kind of around Christmas this season. I'd met with you. Um, but for some reason, in my silence, well, I'll, I'll read a little bit of scripture, and then I'll just, I'll just be quiet with God. I'll just be quiet and realize it's going to freak me out and be like, oh, what? And I'll just learn to be quiet, and I get excited about going to be quiet with Him. And He kept taking me in my mind. So some of what happens is it's, it's not detached from the Word. It's not some new revelation, but it's, it's the, the manger became very real to me. I started thinking about the manger a lot. I was like, what's the deal? And, so, and Bill, you told me, ask God if there's anything more about the manger. And so in my silence, I would just imagine it. And I was like, what? You know, and I just imagined this, this little teenage, this teenage girl who had given birth to this baby and these shepherds and these animals. And I can almost imagine, I, I, I really can't, it's very vivid to me is the... The door's kind of cracked, and there's a little bit of moonlight coming in, and you can sort of see it, and you see the shepherds, but there's this there's this baby there, and they're all looking sort of full of wonder over this baby. And they invite me to come in. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of in my imagination. And, and what age were you? Do you? Were you a specific age? Yeah, I was, I was like a boy. Yeah. It, and so... They invite me to come in and to look at the baby. And there I am, and there's nothing more than that. Here we are. And, and the, the, the message is, this echoing is, here he is for us. He's for us. He's one of us, and he's for us. And so I just thought about that. And that manger scene, which has been so over sentimentalized and made sappy and all this stuff over 
became sort of an anchor to me. It actually became something uh, very rugged in my life, a bulwark, never failing, right? A shelter in the storm. Because as I would go back out into my day and be a dad and be a husband and be a minister, there was this place of like the manger. My soul was sort of in the manger as I went out into the chaos. Mm. As a present reality, there's a there's a there's a resting, um, and just a sweet, deep Holy Spirit, a way of of bringing me back to that place. It's like this, uh, like at the end of each day, I can write at the bottom of the page, what it, or no matter how sad it is, even in my own death, Jesus wins. It's like the the manger and the cross, which are so available, are the last word, no matter what. So there's something that's so fortifying about that. There's something that's so so. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, it's and and I love how common it is. It's not. Uh, I'm not. It's not esoteric. No. It's not uh, gnostic. It's very basic. It's very scriptural, but it becomes uh, real for me. And there's just this. There's a deep, deep connection that I have trouble sort of putting into words and not have it, you're sort of just entering into it. And, right. and now living from the manger, living from the manger into my life. And, and the reality that you're invited into this quiet space and the rest of the world's going rushing about and they're like, you're missing the manger. Mm-hmm. Like it's here, like everything is here. Yeah, we're missing it because it's so common. And, and the noise of the world. You know, right. we're just rushing. It drowns like, it out. Drowns it out. But it's like this, in the stopping in the stillness, you discover, oh, this is the treasure mm-hmm. right here, right here. The yeah, baby in the manger. We, we don't miss Jesus because he's too far up there. We miss Jesus because he's too far down. <sighs> well, yeah. He's too common. He's yeah. too Thank in God, the midst. I know. The bread of that's, life in a dog bowl. I know. I know. That's what the manger is. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah anyone that's can our have salvation. Him. Wow. Wow. Um, and when you tell that story, it evokes in me listening to you wonder mm-hmm. and surprise. So I can't imagine what it would have been like for you to feel that in the silence, yeah. that wonder and surprise. And then that anchor, that sort of rugged anchor, which is the irony of something so tender. Yeah. Well, how available, how available our hero is. Mm-hmm. All the time. All the time. For all needs. Yeah. So for men who may be listening that silence feels this this is so counterintuitive and so counterculture and so counter everything to the makeup and wiring of men, let's talk a little bit about practicality, structuring silence. What are some ways that you found helpful for structuring silence? And I know you mentioned the examine and Lectio Divina, you may just want to describe those a little yeah. bit. In case, and in other ways that have you found, because a lot of men just say, I'm terrible at silence, like my mind wanders, where do I begin, what do I do? So I definitely what would you think, tell them? I definitely think it, there's, a dis- there's, there's a new, there's like a muscle you've never used before. Uh, so you have to learn how to exercise it. Um, and what I would say it is connecting the word with your imagination in a way that, and you get, I'm better at it now, but it's almost kind of like riding a bike. 
when you first start it. Yeah, it's clumsy, clunky. But it's also fun. <laughs> and and so the pressure's off. Like don't and I think God's got men a lot of times go, I'm not doing it right. And they can really kind of get off track and feel a bunch of shame about it. That's I'm not exactly doing right. this right. I'm not doing silence right. I'm not doing <laughs> silence right. I'm terrible at silence. <laughs> yeah. And so but just kind of walking through that and sort of being okay with just learning how to do it, it's um, Lectio Divina is just a great way of structuring your meditation on the Word and bringing it to life in a way that you read it three times aloud. It's really this simple. You read it three times aloud, um, the passage, and a short short passage. Like recent, our most recent uh, silent retreat we did was John 15, a passage from John 15. And you med- you read it aloud, and then you think about words that sort of popped out, and you can write those down or think about what are those words. And it's okay if they're just like really common words, like vine uh, or branch or love or something. And and then you really meditate. You stop and you, you be still. Meditate on what is going on. And so you're allowing the word. It, it, it's sort of an active passivity. It, yes, well said. It's you're allowing the word to kind of do its thing because you you hush. Let the word speak. And so there's this just be quiet and and then think about the word and then you're interacting with it and what you realize is that that scripture is like infinite. It's a prism. There's so many different rooms to go into. Um, all of them in keeping with the truth. Right, so we're not talking about some other new revelation, but it's you're, it's all leading you back to the person and work of Jesus Christ, communing with God through Jesus by the Spirit, and and then prayer, and then following it up with prayer. Lectio Divina is just a way of structuring your own study of Scripture. It has a real fancy name that sounds really, but it really is just a way of slowing down, taking smaller chunks of Scripture, and and allowing the Scripture to to. Is the, see it as like deep diving. Yeah, it is. Like deep treasure diving. Deep treasure diving. Yeah. That's what it is. And then the exam is just a way of taking a self-assessment of times where you felt in what we'd say desolation, times where you were living out of your false self. Not in a way that you're sort of beating yourself up for it, but a time that you knew that day uh, that you kind of were not living out of your who you really are in Christ. And then giving that to God. And then also times of consolation where you really were experiencing your sonship and enjoying that, sort of at the manger. There's times where I'm sort of at the manger, and then there's times I'm in crazy town. <laughs> I talk about a one-way ticket to crazy town. And so just learning to come aware, and you just right. you just tune in right. to what's going Very on. Very much self-aware of what's going on. Yeah, and they're just tools yeah. for helping you commune. Right, right. So you've mentioned three uh, so far. So just to review, this first has been... Any sort of story in Scripture, and, and particularly starting with the Gospels, instead of just reading it, imagine it and enter it. And again, that's a very, very old and ancient practice of doing that that can be profoundly transforming. A second one is Lectio Divina, which is just the uh, Latin meaning sacred reading of the Scriptures. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can look that up anywhere online and, and get some of the, uh, some of the, the, the steps to that. And then finally, you mentioned the examine, which is sort of, uh, I like to call it how you pray backwards. Mm. You pray backwards through your day. Most of us pray forwards. Mm. Instead, you pray backwards through your last 24 hours and think about 
where was God? What was mm-hmm. going on? And uh, using the terms consolation and desolation to sort of pray those through. And again, you, uh, anybody can look that, the examine up to get some more details about that. But those are three very practical ways to enter silence. And I think you said it so well. It is a muscle you didn't think was there. And you start using it and you go, and the more you use it, you sort of the better you get. And, um, and the other thing I tell men is don't say I'm going to spend an hour in silence. Like, like how about 10 minutes? Can you just, just do 10 minutes a day, just stillness, however that works for you, and, and go into that? Um, so you alluded to this before, but, but I, I want to end here. Um, how are you learning to take silence out with you into the busyness of life? Mm. How are you learning to take that sanity and move it out into crazy town, as you said? It's definitely a process, not perfection. So... Um, I'm just noticing when I build my life and my day around silence rather than work, 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 stress out, exhaustion, and then what we think is sort of a silence is really just exhaustion, right? And then we medicate, or I, I medicate, yeah. you know, so I medicate with whatever. You know, I, I, I want to numb. That's not silence. No, right? it's not. That's a, that's it's a getting by, counterfeit. surviving. Right. Yep. Um, it's kind of the opposite of it. And so learning to sort of build my life from it, from a place of silence. Um, the way I I have to sort of check in during the day. So I, I there are times where I have to break my day up. Um, and so I start early in the morning in, in silence. Um, and then... I move into my day, but somewhere in the afternoon or around lunchtime, I need to sort of go back to that place where I may read a scripture that I had looked at that morning. Mm-hmm. I really have like one verse I'm thinking about the, during the day that sort of anchors me, that takes me back to the manger, right? It takes me back to right. to the to that place like, oh, yes. Um, so learning to, find, to build into my day places that bring me back to that. Um, and then at night, I read a... I read the same verse again, and so I go to sleep thinking about what I thought about that morning and during the day. So that's a practical thing just to keep that before me um, in the midst of a day. Also, I like to think about um, this image of Jesus on the boat, and the chaos is always there. Like I want the chaos to go away, and the chaos is always there, but imagining myself in union and communion going into the chaos. And so there's just con- there's conflict. There's conflict in relationships. There's conflict. There's hard stuff. There's just life is hard. So it's we, we sort of want this fake sort of serenity now, Seinfeld, you know, remember the Seinfeld episode, serenity now, that we want our external world to change. But what Jesus is, the, the rare gift that he's giving us about being on the boat when he, when he calms the storm is he's, he's showing us that the storm is there he is with us and we are with him in the storm. And so imagining myself in union going into things that I'm scared of. Hmm. That's, that's a, must be a, a totally different feel. It is. It's a more of a prayerful way of going about my day. Yeah. And there are days and, and, and there are days that I'm I'm less aware, but I'm finding that it doesn't help when I say, Oh, you there you are again. I cut there you go. You don't believe any of this stuff. Um but but allow Henry Nowen said when you get off 
the trail, you don't go back to the start. He said, just imagine, just go right back to where you were. Where you got off. <laughs> yeah, just, just head back. Yeah, and so I start thinking of it yeah. as a journey. So it really is, it, over, it's slowly but surely. And then the final thing I need to say is having guides like you, like Bill, like you, um, and then having friends that I'm reaching out to and having my life is deep relationships with other people who are on the journey with me. That's so important. And so we're kind of we're we're who are also practicing silence. So I'm sort of building my life from that rather than seeing those seeing those as sort of like when I have time, I'll I'll think about it. Yeah, I'm sort of that. I think that's what wholehearted living or abundant living living out of abundance. And um, so I think relationships, fellowship is just essential when it comes to you. You need people. Yeah, I'm not alone in the silence. You know, I. There's a silence, but but we are. But the beautiful thing about the manger is that we're all there together. Yes, there is a un um, an unseen unity with the body of the Christ and the church at large, and just with the souls of men that that I think it happened in the silence. It's yeah. it's kind of hard to describe, but it becomes very very real. Yeah. we are not alone. We never no. were. Yeah. This has been heroic. Join us for the next episode, where we press into the struggle that goes on inside all our heads, that internal, condemning monologue. If you're enjoying the Heroic Podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend who might want to listen in. Rating and word of mouth are the best ways to get the word out. You might also like my book, Heroic, The Surprising Path to True Manhood. Heroic will give you what you need to take the journey to become a man. It will help you find your guide for the journey, own your true identity, and discover your quest. This is how we become truly heroic. Go to heroicbook.com for more information and to order a copy. That's heroicbook.com. <laughs>